The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning. What a fabulous time of worship, hey? Amen? I wasn't convinced the first time. I'm not sure you were convinced the first time. How many of you look forward to Christ's return? Amen? What a day that will be when my Savior I shall see. Amen. Well, in the meantime, we have a building to build. And I have the pleasure this morning of not coming to report on that, but to do something better, to ask you to pray. We, uh, as a congregation, have set a very high priority on praying our way through this venture that we are on and asking God to keep us near his heart. And this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to encourage us to take some time to simply pray. I know that you know this. There are lots of things going on behind the scenes that you don't see on a regular basis every day. Pretty well, there's somebody who's touching this. Every week, there are people who are leading our congregation in unseen ways through all the details, through all the work, through all the stuff that has to get done in order to make this a reality. And I want to call you this morning to join with me in prayer for them and just to ask God to be in this thing, to infuse us with his Holy Spirit that from beginning to end and in every way all through it, that we be near his heart and fully walk with him. So I want us to just do that. Turn to one or two people around you. Let's take a few minutes. Let's spend some time in prayer together, and then I'll close. And let's ask God to do Ephesians 3.20 more than we can begin to imagine or think, immeasurably more than what we can begin to imagine. Ask God to do great things this morning. Let's pray together. Eternal God, mighty in power, of infinite majesty, whom the heavens cannot contain, much less the walls of buildings made with hands, yet who has promised to be present when two or three are gathered in your name. Direct and bless, we pray, our efforts to build this house for your worship and service, and grant us peace, unity, and such success as would give you glory and see the salvation of your people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, this morning we pray that you would hear the prayers of your people. Know, O God, that it is our heart's desire to lean into you and to know you, to press into your will and to be guided by your Holy Spirit. We pray, O God, that you would take every piece, every moment, every intent of what we are doing and make it pleasing to you. At the end of the day, Father, when a building stands on the Gilvery, may this community know that it stands to the glory of Jesus Christ. May we see many, many come to know you as our Lord and Savior because of the things that we undertake. God be glorified. It's in your son's name we pray, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that this be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim, for leading us in prayer. And uh, it is truly a wonderful team effort as I um, am privy to see the different committees working and the board and the staff working together. And and, and step by step, uh, you're going to be hearing more and more in the coming months. And... um, 
just know that God is, is indeed maturing us as a church as well in the process. He's all about the people that um, he wants to be calling his own church and uh, how we can honor his name. <clears throat> this morning as we uh, continue and finish actually today this equipping series uh, that we've been looking at in the last several weeks, uh, we want to talk about again uh, how it is that we grow in our gifting and our serving of the Lord. Our purpose in serving is always tied to our relationship with Jesus Christ. You can never separate that. In fact, Rene Padilla, who is uh, one of uh, my uh, favorite Latin American theologians, I got to meet him several times when I was in Bolivia, and uh, Rene Padilla, who lived in Argentina, said that um, the, uh, as your Christology goes, so also shall your ecclesiology go. And so basically what he is saying is, is that... If you don't have a high view of the nature of Jesus Christ and the mission of Jesus Christ, you will not have a high view of the nature of the church and of the mission of the church. And that's a critical piece for us to understand, that our, our ecclesiology, our understanding of church, follows our Christology and our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so it's vital that we know and understand that. And this morning, I'm going to take you to a passage soon that will take us to the very heart of the nature and mission of Jesus Christ, and therefore, the nature and the mission of the church. Before we get there, I want you to turn in your bulletins to that little yellow insert. And I would like you to pull out the, the insert and, and turn it over and look at the back side of that page. And you'll find there that there's a chart called the Organizational Heresy. <clears throat> This is a uh, portion from Don Cousins' book that we've been studying called Leader, Experiencing Leadership. And you'll notice there that there are two columns, and one column talks about an institutional model of church, and the other column, a biblical model of church. And the differences between the two are enormous, and I just want to highlight briefly as we begin what those differences are. First of all, if you take a look at the board role and the staff or pastoral staff role in an institutional model... The board does the leading, and the pastoral staff executes the plans of what the board is asking them to do in leading. In a biblical model, you'll notice that it is the board that is in place to protect the church, to direct the church in the, in the bigger vision. But on the operational ground level, it is the pastoral staff that shepherd the church. They, they guide the flock. They lead the show, and so on. And uh, it's our responsibility to do that in the operation. Ideally, why is that? Because ideally, you have people who are called that by God to be in pastoral office. You have people who are equipped by God, whether, whether it's the Spirit of God in them or the training they get in seminary or wherever else. You also have people who are educated and equipped in certain ways and sometimes even paid and freed up from that salary because of that salary from other occupations so that they can give themselves fully to that work. So, so let them lead. Let us lead. Let us be the shepherds, the, the people that are responsible for the shepherding of the flock. And uh, don't put it in the hands of others that, that are not as maybe gifted or called or equipped or, or paid and so on. And so that's the first thing. What are the pastors, though, supposed to be leading in? How are they supposed to serve? Well, in the institutional model, the staff serves the needs of the congregation. The, mo the members come to the church because of a, a service that is being offered by the staff. We, 
We offer a Sunday morning service. We offer children's ministry and youth ministry and seniors ministry and all that. And you find something that meets your need and you say, I like that. And so forgive me for the, the you know, comparison, but you, you, pay your, you pay your membership dues when the offering plate is passed. And then you get what your membership is, is expected of. You know, you, you get the service that you've, you've uh, wanted. And that's the consumer model, the club model of church. And, and unfortunately, that is the institutional model that probably without realizing it, ev- almost everyone in this room likely has grown up with somehow being influenced by that, that model. In the biblical model, the, the pastoral staff have definitely the goal of meeting the needs of the congregation, but we define the needs a little differently. You see, the goal we see is that each one of you become a maturing, multiplying body of Christ member that is is actively serving God in the way that God's wired you to serve Him. And so it's not just about us trying to please you and meet your need and have a, a nice experience for you. It's about you getting involved in service. And so... How can pastors prepare the church to build one another up and to reach out to the world? Jesus has given each one of you giftings and abilities, and so wise biblical leadership wants to do two things. They want to activate that gifting that is, is maybe dormant in you or been, been set, set aside, and, and they want to circulate you so that you are now in relationship with the body of Christ and with the world around us. And so, therefore, what are we doing? We're multiplying ministry through the giftings of the body of Christ, and we are keeping the staff from becoming this bottleneck where, oh yeah, only only things that are important that happen around here have to happen through the staff, the the pastoral leadership, and so on. We're getting away from that. We have to get away from that because we want to do ministry, but we also want to do it with you, and we want to equip you to do it even better. And so the biblical model, instead of the congregation being served by the staff and pastors, they are involved in the serving. They have a sense of belonging. They have a sense of, I'm contributing to this overall ministry. And they see where they fit within the body of Christ as servants. Just like Jesus said, the Son of Man himself. Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how, is we, as, how could we as followers of Christ think that that we're meant to be served when Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. I uh, Finally, uh, the, rather than being ignored, you'll notice the church, by the church, the world around us is served. In an institutional model, largely, it ignores the world, not because church members don't care about their world, I'm not suggesting that, but rather because for many years, people have been conditioned to think that real ministry has to be left to the professionals and that real stuff happens when pastors and other paid staff are involved. And so that attitude has debilitated the body of Christ throughout the years. I grew up in in a church that had an evangelistic service every Sunday evening. And I I cannot remember once being encouraged to learn how to share my faith with somebody that I knew. But rather, I was encouraged to try and bring them out to a Sunday evening service. That was the model uh, for, for much time. In, and maybe some of you grew up in that kind of model. Get, get them to the church, let the pastor preach them, get them saved, and then you can walk with them now somehow. But to, to actually do the ministry of sharing your faith and your witness, that was not really stressed in my background. And it's heresy. It's a, a heresy of the institutional model of church. And uh, anything that you think... To, uh, the attitude of, that suggests that pastors somehow 
have all the giftings and can do all the things better than, the, than others in the body of Christ. That's, that's the heresy. And uh, in fact, it's not just extending to things like preaching or some of those things. And it, it goes into other areas like pastoral care, like visiting, like counseling, encouraging, helping, administrating, and so on. As I shared last week when I was in the pulpit here, um, we had a retreat board staff. We, we, of the 17 in the board staff team retreat, uh, eight of the 17 have giftings of administration. None of the four pastors have giftings of administration. <laughs> we, we have to administrate. We, we do it. We do it on a regular basis. But this church would be weaker if it were not for the fact that there's eight among 17 that are doing a ton of administration and helps and so on. And so we need to grow in this. Yesterday, I was just delighted. I had a dream come true yesterday, kind of a bucket list thing on my, on my list. I got to lead a workshop on expository preaching, and, and 10 men from our church attended. And they're the 10 people that are going to be responsible for the, the preaching of God's Word through the Gospel of John in the next four months as I get away for sabbatical. This is a dream come true. I, in, in all my pastoral ministry in, in, in the time in, in my life, almost 30, or more than 30 years, I've never been in a church where I, that, that could have happened. I, in, in various churches, where I, two, two other churches that I've served in, I, I had to get someone from another church or a chaplain or someone to come in and fill the pulpit if I was sick or I was away or something like that. And, and here, I think the sign of a healthy church is that that there's a multiplicity of gifting that God has spread about, about the church so that, that the church doesn't suffer when one member suffers. They all suffer, but not in the same way that has to be debilitating. And so I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. And so it's wrong to leave to pastors and other staff to do what institutional church throughout the ages has said they only can do. It's wrong to fall into that model. And so many of you can do hospitality and service and helps and intercession and visitation and finances and administration and encouragement and all kinds of other things better than we pastors can do it. And we need you to do it. That's the way the body of Christ is going to be built up. So if you take your Bibles now with that kind of a spiel... You can tell I'm a little bit passionate about that one. Uh, turn to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> and I believe that a, this is a good passage for us to end this little mini-series on equipping with this scripture in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 11. I want you to know that this passage I have come back to, circulated back to several times in my life. It's been a key passage. Um, one of the first serious times that I studied it was when Pat and I chose it to be our wedding text over 33 years ago. And we, we memorized it and recited it to each other at, at, at the altar. <clears throat> and then when I got to the mission field down in Bolivia, this, this, this wedding text, this marriage text to me anyway, became a missions text because I saw in it how Jesus left his throne above on a missionary journey of saving lost humanity. And now as a pastor again, I, I see this text and I go back to it and I say, this is an incredibly important serving church text. If we're going to become a serving church like Jesus calls us to be, we're going to have to learn how to do it. And I believe this scripture has a lot to teach us. So Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, 
And if you're able to stand with me for the hearing of God's word, please do so now. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. May God bless his word to us today. There are three things I would like to say about this text. You can see in the yellow insert. And the first point I would like to make is that unity in our serving comes from unity with Christ. Now, it may sound a little too obvious, but I'll just say it again. Uh, Paul says in the beginning of this passage, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. He doesn't say, if you have any encouragement here in the church from being united with each other. Please try and get along. If you have any encouragement from being united with each other, he doesn't say that. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. That's a fundamentally important point, that our unity in serving comes from our unity with Christ. Our our life group had a conversation about this this past week, about how the health of of a a group of people working together is, is optimized when diversity of opinion is at the table, when we're not all thinking alike. In fact, it's way better because if you, if you are all thinking alike, why ever form committees? <laughs> I mean, if, if, if a committee is all thinking alike, then one would be a good enough committee, right? But you, you bring people together because of diversity, because people don't always think alike, and it's good to have that 360 at the table. And Paul is talking about that here, that if we're all united to Christ, then we can come together and have our differences of opinion, but fundamentally, it's going to come out looking good because of unity in Him. And the reference point for, of, of this is, is Christ. You see, too often what we do is we, we gather around ourselves people that are like us, think like us, behave like us, are going to act like us, and then we call that unity. And we might even call it unity in the spirit. But it might just be kind of pressure, conformity, uniformity, peer pressure. I don't know. There's something better that Jesus has. And the better part is that if each of us are connected to the head and our unity is with Christ individually, then when we come together, a much more dynamic um, activity is going to happen if we're united with Christ. And so this body analogy serves us well. And and I want you to think about it for a moment, about the body again, the body analogy. When you do anything with your body, anything, 
with any part of your body, it is your brain that has prompted that to happen. Both the things that are voluntary and the things that are involuntary. I mean, right now, you are breathing, and your heart is beating, and you're not thinking about it. It's involuntary. And that's a good thing, because there's a part of your brain that is taking care of that, and, and you don't have to think about it. And, and when every member and every part of the body is connected with the head, then this thing works together. But if for one moment we could imagine one member of the body going rogue and saying, I'm not going to submit to the head, I'm not going to listen to the brain, and I'm not going to worry about the other members of my body here either, I'm just going to do my own thing. Well, try, for example, swallowing when you're trying to breathe in. You know, you got a mouthful of food. Well, try to, try to swallow at the same time that you breathe in and inhale. You're going to have trouble. You see, the body has to work in a coordinated way, and it works best when everybody's just connected to the head and getting the orders from the brain. And otherwise, a body looks very uncoordinated. And that's what Paul is teaching. In verse 1, in verse 1, these are graces of Jesus Christ that come to you, individually to you, when you, as an individual, are united with Christ. You, you have these graces because of Jesus Christ in you. And so the, the unity is first with Jesus Christ and then with his body because of being in Jesus Christ. So if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's comfort from him, fellowship with his spirit, tenderness and compassion that he gives you, all these graces are planted in your heart because you belong to Jesus Christ. And once we are experiencing these graces, then you can go to verse 2, and you can express them to someone else around you in the body of Christ. But if you do not, ex if you do not experience them, in verse 1, because of being in union with Jesus Christ, I would caution you about going to verse 2 and expressing them to others around you. And so, you think about the people that are hard to get along with in your life. Think about some tense relationships you have. Think about people that are conflictive, tense, in, in, and, and so on. And ask yourself, because of being united with Christ, do I have a heart of encouragement do I have a heart of comfort? Do I have a heart of fellowship? Is there a tenderness and compassion on my heart? First of all, is that a grace that comes from Jesus Christ and being united with Him? If you can say, yes, that's there in my heart, then you can take the step into verse 2, which has to do with being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. But if you don't, then you have some heart work to do. When I was younger, I, I made the mistake more than a few times in trying to fulfill verse 2 in the flesh and not go and get dealing with my own homework before God in my own heart in verse 1. And many times relational tensions would just get worse when I tried to do that in verse 2. It does not work. So if we're going to experience community in our serving together, then it, come, it must come from the source of being united with Christ showing humility to one another. That's my second point. Community in our serving shows in our humility toward one another. Paul writes in verse 2 that, that if you have some measure of the graces of verse 1, then you can be like-minded, you can have the same love, and you can be one in spirit and purpose. 
And I cannot help but apply this to the building committee and the capital funds team and, and the prayer team that are working together in this great endeavor that Tim led us in prayer about. All of these groups are teams that have been appointed by the board of our church, and they are a group of individuals that bring something of their, of their individual gifting and ability to the table, to the team, but just putting people together on a team doesn't mean that they're going to get along or think in the way that they need to and, and have a, a good decision. But we believe that they are put there and their diversity is a good thing to get the best decisions because they all bring a diversity of opinion and thought and gifting and we need them to reach their goal. But in order for that to happen, each one of them, each individual has to bring the graces of verse 1, first of all in their own hearts, to the table in verse 2. They have to come out of the, the experience of being united with Christ and, and having that upon their hearts toward one another before they can express that in their teams and get along as Christ would have them. And then to arrive at like-mindedness and having a common love and a spirit and purpose that's common is going to be incredibly explosive because it's based on the unity of Christ. They bring that into the relationship of serving together for the common goal. And in my view... If we were to arrive at a wonderful new building in two years on McGilvery Boulevard, and yet in the process of getting to that stage, have a history of, of casualties in relationships in the body of Christ, then I think that we will have been a failure, though we might have a building standing on that property. I believe that what, what really matters to Jesus is how he's building his spirit and his son's life into our lives. And so the graces of verse 1 extend to verse 2 as we treat each other with humility. And similarly, the, the White Ridge Wings won the cup last night, and we drank from it in victory. It was wonderful sitting out there in the table George brought it. And, uh, and you know, we didn't get to that stage without some adversity. In the last few weeks, we've had conflict where we've had to address chirping at the ref, disagreeing with calls, yelling at the other team, pushing and shoving after the whistle, and all the stuff that goes with the wonderful religion in Canada called hockey. <laughs> Do you know what? We had to deal with that. We had to address that. We had to pray over that. And I believe that it would be an absolute uh, anticlimactic failure for, for us to have arrived last night at winning the championship if for some reason we would have seen failed relationships, bad testimony, and uh, destroyed relationships along the way, I would have said, I'll hang up my skates. We'll, we'll do something else. You see, Jesus is all... When we get to heaven, is it going to matter that we won the championship? <laughs> no. Is it going to matter how we treated one another in the body of Christ and how we matured in that as we learned to love each other in Jesus' name? Yes. What else are we to do, according to verses 3 and 4? Paul says that we're also, in working out the graces of verse 1, we are also to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we're to consider others better than ourselves. We're to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, that's hard. Do you know that in, on, our, on our wedding day, Pat and I, had Dr. John Bonk from Providence College speak at our wedding on this text. And when he came to verses 3 and 4, he, 
he stepped aside and he stepped right ahead of me. And he said, Terry, he looked me in the eye, he said, Terry, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider Pat better than yourself. Terry, you should look not only at your own interests, but also the interests of Pat. Terry, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then thankfully he went and he looked ahead of Pat. (laughs) And he said, Pat, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider Terry better than yourself. And he he went on. Do you know something? We have to behave that way, but it will never come naturally. Never. It is a supernatural grace that comes from being united with Christ and having his love and his fellowship of his spirit. And and that, that kind of community that comes out of humility will only happen because of the supernatural presence of Jesus Christ. And if you think for a moment that humility is something that comes natural to you, then I want to appeal to you and I want to say, you better go back and look at your theology of sin because the Bible teaches us that pride is at the heart of every human heart. It's at the root of every human heart. Every one of us. Pride. It's going to bring you down unless you're aware that it's going to be lurking around the corner. Do you know, I don't know how long you've been a part of the church here called White Ridge Baptist Church, but if you, if you have not yet had your pride offended here in our church family, it'll come. And just give it a little time, and it'll come, and it may not be the fault of anybody else but your own, but it's going to happen. Because you see, we're all broken image bearers, and when you put our brokenness together with all the jagged edges, we rub off against each other, and we make each other bleed, and we lacerate, and we hurt. And we don't even sometimes mean to, but we do it. And if you haven't had your pride hurt yet, it's going to happen. I hope you'll endure it with us. I hope you'll reconcile it with us. I hope you'll stay among us. Do you know that the Staff of our church have a best practices policy. And we have an ABC of the best practices policy. And of the ABCs of the best practice policy, guess what A is? A is assume good intentions unless proven otherwise. What does that mean? It means that if somebody on staff does something that undermines me, if someone does something that that, that criticizes me, if I somehow feel that they're saying something that's undermining or criticizing or, or contradicting or going against me or whatever the case may be, if it hurts my pride or something else about me, my default setting and every one of our staff members is, didn't mean it. Good intentions. I assume good intentions. I don't think it came from your heart. I think it was an accident. I think there was a misunderstanding. And we get together and we talk about it. You see, because like we say on our core values, and we tell the world this, we say that discipleship and becoming a, a follower of Jesus happens in healthy relationship. And so if we can't do healthy relationship, then we're not maturing. We have to do this well. You know, there's a, somebody that said this. They, 
They said that you can develop and acquire anything and everything you need to be a, a mature Christian. You can do that in solitude, just you and Jesus. They said you can do anything you need to acquire in solitude except build character. <laughs> I mean, kind of a big deal if you follow Jesus. I mean, the point is you, you won't mature in Christ-likeness without other people. Well, the third and final thing I want to say is that sincerity in our serving comes from having the attitude of Christ. And I want you to follow me just a bit on verses 5 to 8. These are really cool passages. Jesus, uh, Paul says, um, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he says, who being in very nature, God. Now that word nature is the word morphe, where the word metamorphosis comes from. Metamorphosis is a transformation from within in the essence of that creature. The essence changes in metamorphosis. And so it's, Paul is teaching here, we're using that word, he's saying, Jesus, you could substitute the word essence for nature. Jesus, being in very essence God. That's what we believe. God of gods, Jesus, is in very essence God. Did not consider equality with God, like keeping all the rights and privileges thereto uh, attached, he didn't hang on to that stuff, but he put it aside. He made himself nothing, it says. Picture yourself going down the stairs. Made himself nothing. That's the word, kenosis. He emptied himself, it says. And then it says in verse 7, he took the nature, again, the word morphe. He took the nature of a servant. And then it says... Being found in appearance. Now, that word isn't essence, morphe. It is schema. It's this outward thing. In appearance, he was a man. So here we are. In essence, Jesus, God, in essence, became a servant. Put all that stuff of God, you know, rights and privileges aside and became, in essence, a servant. But in terms of what you see on the outward, he's just a man. Just a man. The sincerity of the service we see in Jesus is not only in his example, but in his essence. He put aside the rights as the Son of God, took upon himself the rights of a servant. And in a similar way, the sincerity of our service and our ministry comes from the attitude of Christ, laying down all the rights and privileges and having the essence of servanthood. You see, there's a difference. You can do the same service and you can have an attitude that somehow says, well, you owe me one now. Or, well, this is really beneath me, but I guess I'll do it. And it's a kind of a play acting. Or you can have the essence of a servant. Do you see the difference? The essence of a servant is, well, why shouldn't I do this? It's, it's, it's just, of course I'll do this for you, whatever. The essence. That's, that's available to every one of us because of our union with Christ. You know, the, probably the best picture we see of Jesus, I love it. In John 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet on the night before he was crucified. And you know how it unfolds. They rent a borrowed room. They, they borrow this room. And in, in normal culture there, where everybody's walking around with bare feet or sandals, the feet are dirty, and before they come into somebody's home and have a meal and recline, <clears throat> the, the host provides a servant that's going to wash all the feet. In this case, 26 feet. And this is a borrowed room, so there's no servant present. 
And the, the disciples come in and they, they look awkwardly at their feet and they look around, no eye contact, you know, and, and, they get, and they finally just go to the place of reclining. And then Jesus comes in, takes his place, and he's, he is silent. And then after a moment, he just gets up, takes out his, off his outer robe, and he picks up a towel and a basin, and he starts to wash all the feet. Now, this is incredible because in verse 13 of John 13, he says some words that are, are incredible about, about who he calls us to be. But what I want you to think about before I read those words is I want you to know this is, the, this is graduation day. This is after three years with Jesus, day in and day out. This is, this is, they've all discovered their spiritual gifts by now. They've had opportunity to use them. They've all preached to the crowds. They've all cast out demons. They've all prayed over the sick and seen some healings. They've all been in ministry. They've been in the saddle. They're mature. Someone that would have seen them three years earlier, they'd have said, what a bunch of losers. And someone that would have seen them now three years later, they'd say, well, this, this group's kind of organized. They know what they're doing now. But according to Jesus, the master, he says some things about them that are staggering. And he says this in verses 13 to 17. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Let's have our last song. And let's pray as we begin to sing that. Father, we pray that you would plant this lesson deep into our hearts and allow us, Lord, to understand what it means, in essence, to be a servant like you, Jesus. It doesn't come naturally. It only comes because of you in us and unity with you. So we pray, O oh God, that you'd continue to grow us up individually and collectively as the body of Christ. In your name we pray. You are a few minutes late. How would you feel about trying to find a place? Be hard, wouldn't it? And this church is called to serve, serve. As Jesus served us, this community which is growing. There are going to be more people coming. We want to make them welcome. And we want to serve them. And we want to serve them whatever way God wants us to serve. Part of it's going to be building program. And part of it could be other things as it expands yet. But as long as this community is growing, this church must be growing. Or we're not listening to God. I've uh, been reading the Psalms recently, and uh, the Psalmists are really caught up in noise. One of them has been out in a huge 
thunderstorm with an earthquake. More noise than you people made today by a long shot. And all the people were there looking on, and they said, and we said, glory. We've had a touch of glory today that we want to give to others as time goes on. And that means that we need to be blessed and empowered, not just by the church program, but by God himself. And so I would like to just read a few words. But you, dear brothers, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Do that as a whole group, all of us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, the Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.